0: As you're listening to this episode, let us know if you have any questions for our guest. If so, please send us a message to team at onehaus.org or join our discussion board using our Clever podcast app. You can download the app at clever.fm. Welcome to the Onehaus podcast. I'm Chris Kim. Today we have Jamie Lee, digital business leader and head of digital experience at Everlane. Jamie is a Haas EW MBA alum and a seasoned executive with experience at Walmart and Nike before taking the role as the head of digital experience at Everlane. Jamie has a passion for driving change for industry leaders and impacting customers at a global scale. Welcome, Jamie, and great to have you on the show.
1: Thank you for having me, Chris. Really excited to be here.
0: It's great to have you. You know, we always like to start with the origin story. So would you mind just kind of sharing a bit about like where you grew up and what your journey was like before you got to Haas?
1: sure so i would say born and raised in the pacific northwest so in gig harbor washington about 45 minutes away from seattle grew up in a pretty small community so it was in the same school preschool through 12th grade oh, wow. um you form re- yeah which is exciting you really get to form these close-knit connections but in a small community especially in a school you get to try your hand at a lot of different things so it really started to instill a spirit of curiosity and because I grew up in such a small area, my parents and family always loved taking us out to travel the world, too. So really instilling both a love for the Northwest, a love for travel, and also that experimentation and curiosity growing up as well. And I would say growing up there, I really started to appreciate the 10 p.m. summer sunsets, which is a big benefit living in the Northwest, the great outdoors and access to that, and then top of the line seafood as well.
0: Ah, very cool. What did trips look like that as a kid growing up?
1: So I think one of the interesting highlights as a kid too is that in our school, we had twice a year mandatory outdoor ed trips. Oh my gosh. They would take us on 25 mile bike rides. That's so cool. Going river rafting or camping in the Olympic mountains. So that was embedded as a part of our culture. So it was cool to just have that as part of the community and school. So access to that or even access to Oregon or Vancouver. So when you think about rivers, lakes, mountains, that's all within, you know, a 30 minute, one hour drive. So that was a great part of our lifestyle and definitely not taking that for granted living here in Oregon.
0: My gosh, that's awesome. That's a really unique experience. I I think maybe it's not unique for some folks who've grown up like that, but for folks who are coming from big cities or maybe kind of like, uh, you know, more traditional suburbs like that, that sounds like an amazing experience. Did you have any early experiences early on that kind of shaped how you approach life? Or have you noticed that it changed the way that you look at things versus maybe folks who had a, a different type of upbringing?
1: I would say so. I went to undergrad at University of Southern California down in LA. So escaping to the sunshine, (laughs) which is always fun um, compared to the rainy winters up here. And I would say mentioning travel as a big part of my upbringing. One of the biggest takeaways from undergrad is that I learned that life is really more of what you experience out of the classroom than in the classroom. So the global component, the travel element was really important to me. And USC really opened a lot of doors there for that. So I took some global trips or stints in China, Mexico, and then worked abroad in London uh, for a summer internship, was, which was awesome, just to gain more of a global perspective. Yeah. And funny enough, I feel like I learned more about the culture and the people there than the actual work or classes, although that was great too. But my big kind of pro tip to other folks kind of thinking about going global is definitely try to study or work abroad where you can in college. That is really that perfect playground to be able to do that. So that's something that I really took with me as well. And then I also a lot of life lessons learned in college and I'm happy to share some of that too.
0: Oh yeah. That's amazing. You know, you know, USC is a huge school, big big kind of, you know, it's got a huge alumni base and super diverse in in many ways. Like what was that experience like going from, you know, growing up in kind of the Pacific Northwest Seattle area and then, you know, kind of making that trip down to Southern California and maybe one of the, you know, one of the probably biggest schools in terms of that in that like greater LA area.
1: It was definitely very eye opening. So growing up in a small community where a graduating class was 63 people. Oh my gosh. One of the largest universities in the U.S., It is a big shift, but also really exciting. I think a couple of highlights for me is really, as I mentioned, kind of, hey, experience life outside of the classroom is LA had a wealth of different experiences beyond campus itself, too. So we had outings to Huntington or Venice Beach. We had the USC football tailgates as a part of the big culture or getting extra seat fillers at the Emmys or Grammys was sort of a a common theme and experience in LA. So I feel like that big city feel was something I definitely really appreciated. And having more of that like global or diverse perspective, having so many of the students also come from Asia or Europe or different communities in LA that were so different from mine, really appreciated that point of view and experiencing undergrad together with them.
0: That's awesome. Well, Jamie, uh, for folks who know maybe even just a little bit about you, you were pretty active in undergrad. I mean, like you, you're crushing in academics, you know, academic scholar, you're doing like, if I understand correctly, like student government, and you racked up like a ton of awards. And then you also studied abroad, like, how did you manage all that? And what was driving you to do all that? You know, be, a lot of people come to college and they kind of coast or they think about taking it easy, but you were just, it looks like you were just crushing it <laughs> every opportunity that you had the chance to.
1: USC had such an amazing opportunity to just explore and dabble in so many different areas. And knowing that you only have four years, I'm all about how do we maximize every minute or every day out of these four years with such a unique group of people. So I think that curiosity from my upbringing and also being in this like really big sandbox Mm. of different experiences and such amazing people, that really inspired me. And I think that love for learning, just learning through conversations, through different experiences, through different organizations has taught me a lot a lot or even going global. So I feel like that was one of the main drivers of like that curiosity and learning. Funny enough, taking that strengths finder test now, um, my biggest strength according to the test is being a learner. So I think that's always been a part of who I am and what's really encouraged and inspired me to explore and take part in a lot of different things.
0: Great. Oh, so what did you do after college? You know, where did you go and what was that experience like?
1: Yeah, so after college, went a little bit further south to San Diego Mm -hmm. um, and kicked off my career at Sony Electronics. What I really loved about the role, it was a leadership development program really focused on direct-to-consumer innovation. So looking at new ways to really drive the future of Sony through digital, through stores, and learned a lot of best practices about how we think about commercial moments, scaling a new concept store, or even driving the digital business, and also learning how to connect with so many different people in a ton of different business units. So I'd say the biggest takeaway there for me is that I learned that I wanted to continue to be a part of high growth areas in a business. Direct to consumers new to the brand and love being a part of brands that, again, could really connect with consumers globally. So that was my biggest learning. And kind of my story pre-Haas too is after Sony, I knew I wanted to be closer to digital and technology. So made my way up to the Bay Area and worked for Electronic Arts, for about a year to really help grow the foundation of the digital business. So thinking about pricing tools, a go-to-market blueprint and category management for the EA Sports and Sims lines, both very fun games. Oh, wow. So had a stint there and then later took that experience and brought it to Walmart Labs, which is an innovation group within Walmart Ecom, um, really focused in finding new ways to grow the enterprise through digital. So had a chance to test and build out food subscription models, had a chance to also launch market one for a Walmart online grocery, buy online pickup and store, and was able to scale that with the team to a thousand markets and also led the digital transformation for toys and baby brands. So again, my biggest learning there before joining Haas was like, I love these high growth initiatives and how do I, you know, go to Haas, learn more from this community and show me kind of a broader perspective of how to impact these brands.
0: Yeah, that's awesome, Jamie. You know, if you wouldn't mind, you know, so, some folks are familiar with me, like go to market and kind of those business strategies. Could you maybe share a bit about like, how does that work practically at a company and, and why, why is go to market so important, especially from like a, like a sales or, or a marketing perspective?
1: Absolutely. So I can speak to our Walmart online grocery experience. A lot of our go to market was really understanding one, what is our business and financial model? How is this going to make money for Walmart ecom and the broader enterprise of Walmart stores in general? So I think that's that was a part of it, and also establishing product market fit. So what is our value proposition? How do we win and cut through the marketplace with this distinct service? And how do we provide long term value? And then as we devise the playbook for launch, or what we deemed as go to market in this context, is what is the value proposition? What is the media spend? What is the consumer experience and operational element? to really launch this for the consumer and really understanding what is the blueprint it takes to deliver that top tier customer experience while hitting our revenue targets and knowing that go-to-market activation is so critical as we think about scale and knowing that we're going to have some growing pains in that go-to-market experience, but really being able to land the financial targets, the business impact, and also a really clean understanding of the consumer journey at launch
0: so if i'm hearing you right you know just to summarize it's you know all of the details around the a business that you might have you know what's your product how is that going to resonate with customers how does that turn into you know meaningful revenue for a business and then you know how do you grow beyond kind of the first version of that and just keep adapting and growing over time is is that right precisely awesome i mean and this might be a question for some folks who who might be unfamiliar you know like Digital today is a huge thing, but maybe could you give some context in terms of what it was like when you were at Walmart, Walmart labs, you know, there's been a ton of like transformation and change that's happened in in retail generally, but, you know, at huge organizations like Walmart specifically as well. Could you share a little bit about what that experience was like, um, especially at the time that you were at Walmart and you got to kind of see all that transformation and lead that firsthand?
1: Absolutely. So I can give you kind of my inside take on my time at Walmart. So much of the business was obviously driven through stores. So Walmart stores. So when we think of where a lot of the resources are and where the priorities are, that was really the bread and butter. And e-com was sort of the new kid on the block. So how do we start growing more of the business through that? So in terms of digital maturity, I would say it was still pretty nascent. I think some people would argue maybe it's a little bit later in the development. But so much of the work there was building the foundation of what sort of data do we need? to make informed decisions in e-com. What does an e-com organization fully look like at scale to support the world's largest grocer or retailer? And a lot of the conversations were also, how does Walmart e-com play in the broader space of competing with other giants like the Amazons or the targets of the world and also smaller competitors? So I would say it was pretty nascent at the time with really trying to understand the fundamentals. And that was what I would say about seven eight years ago, so not too long ago, and still trying to figure out how does e-com become a profitable part of the business. So that was a really big focus. It's like user growth, and then, okay, how do we think about profitability long term? And specifically in my work um, on the digital category management side, when I was working with toys and baby partners, so much of their business was still in stores that a lot of the conversation was, Hey, we believe that TV ads should be our biggest investment without a full understanding of what digital marketing uh, could, how digital marketing could impact them or serve their business. So a lot of it was still education, which is very interesting at that time. So I would still say to summarize a very nascent kind of infant to toddler stage of Ecom about eight years ago.
0: Jamie, you'd worked at some of the, the biggest brands in the world, you know, why go back to the MBA, you know, and, and what, what was that process like when you were kind of deciding what to do and whether or not you'd go to business school?
1: Over my career, I've always enjoyed the challenge of learning new things and also the excitement of seeing that learning translate into the business impact, how it impacts the people on my team and around me, and also the consumer. And my whole life philosophy is that if I'm not scared, then I'm not growing. Mm. And so a big part of me was I'm learning so much from amazing retailers and e professionals, but I wanted to learn from a more broader set of people from very diverse backgrounds. And Haas really was that ideal destination for me, where you have a lot of top tier tech talent, but at the same time, you have people from all walks of life from a medical field or a musical field, or maybe professional athletes, such different people and different backgrounds. And I felt like that learning environment could challenge me as a business leader and really shape the way I'm thinking in a different way that might not be homogenous to maybe other people that are very similar in the e-commerce retail space. So that was the big draw, that diversity of thinking Mm. that could be achieved in a Haas experience and MBA.
0: Yeah. Do you have any uh, memories of like your time when you were like a perspective or did you visit campus? Like any, anything that stuck out to you while you're going that process? Because I know a lot of folks are maybe thinking about it, contemplating it. And they're about to, you know, uh, put that app in. So uh would love to hear if you had any of those experiences.
1: Yes. So I would say in trying to, I'm scratching my head, and trying to remember all the different <laughs> events I went to because I went to quite a few. Oh, really? There oh, okay. was, yeah, so there was like a women's dinner where we mm. got to meet with various women within the Haas community. There were the obvious kind of like meet and greet with Haas on campus and in the San Francisco area. But I would say the big takeaway I had there was everyone was so smart and competent, yet humble at the same time. And it really felt like a community of people that, one, I would love to be around and I could grow from. And it just felt like they were so open to bringing in that next generation of Haas Mm. that I didn't necessarily see across other schools. So that was like the biggest kind of advantage with Haas. And that was one of my biggest memories, too, of why Haas was so uniquely different was from all the different walks of life and the backgrounds and how welcoming they were in bringing people along in their Haas journey and how open they were about their experience and their journey to Haas and at Haas as well and that the MBA can sometimes be really challenging and difficult as it pertains to prioritization and time and life trade-off. So I really appreciated the authenticity of the conversations I had in those outings.
0: That's great to hear. I definitely had a, you know, when I was a perspective, had almost a very similar experience to what you were saying. And for me, it was, you know, people really Cared about, I think, as you kind of put it, the neck building, the next generation, and bringing in the next generation of hossies, and that kind of cemented it sealed the deal for me there. So it's great to hear that you had a similar experience.
1: And I love the campus; it just felt like home. Oh yeah, to me, which I didn't feel necessarily in other spots. So I think that was the biggest draw. Sometimes you got to lean on your gut mm. when making that final decision too
0: that's great. What was the experience like when you uh, actually got to Haas and you, you, get, you got that acceptance letter and then you start, you know, start classes, you know, was it similar or different to maybe what you thought it was going to be like? And uh, how did that kind of evolve as you were going through the program?
1: Yeah, so I'd say like the first month and um, orientation, there was so much focus on Haas's culture, which I thought was really unique and something that I didn't anticipate, but really loved specifically around challenging the status quo. And being a student always, those really resonated with me. But I thought that was a really interesting element to Haas and bringing that community together. To your question of what was expected or unexpected, I would say what was unexpected was how that diverse thinking really challenged the way I thought through problems Mm. or thought through problems differently in class. I think what was expected was doing my undergrad in business. Some of the classes are pretty similar. But just seeing it in another light is always helpful. So I think there is some continuity and familiarity with the actual subjects in the classes, but with the people and the conversations and the richness of thinking from people who may be earlier in their career or more seasoned, I think that diversity in the classroom was really powerful and surprising in a really good way.
0: Yeah. Do you have any memories or experiences that stick out to you, especially on the, I think for a lot of Hazis, the idea of the diversity of thought or the different, like, having a broader perspective, how to approach problems like that comes super intuitively. Once you experience it, you kind of get it. But do you have any memories or anything that like aha moments that came up uh, while you were in the program?
1: Yeah, I would say I don't know if there's one aha moment, but I can give you some examples. There was the VCIC competition Mm -hmm. that we entered. And I think just hearing things from venture capitalists or people I don't necessarily interface with, but understanding how to truly value a company, And I think hearing it from that perspective versus being in these public companies, as opposed to hearing it from the other side was really eye opening to me or a class that I took called turnarounds. Chris, I don't know if you took that as well.
0: I took. who did you take that with? Is it with uh, Peter uh, yep. Goodson? Same, same. Yep. I took his uh, M&A class. So gotcha. <laughs> very, very, yep. very
1: classically challenging. Yes, class. <laughs> very, um, very challenging. <laughs> Hearing it through like the lens of business cases and these speakers of people going through turnarounds specifically, they're coming from backgrounds that are so different yeah. from mine versus like, okay, I'm coming from high growth areas of more established businesses. It's a different journey that we're taking. So I'd say that accumulation of different perspectives, it's so hard to say just one, but I'd say all of that has kind of laddered up to how I'm approaching things today too and really taking from my experience at Haas.
0: Yeah, just for folks who are maybe unfamiliar. VCIC is is essentially our like a VC investment competition that we have at, at Haas, right? And students can join. Is it, I think it, I don't know if it, this was the format when you had it, like you create a team and then you pitch and then they give you like real-time feedback. And like, these are real VCs or, you know, folks who have that kind of background or experience. Is, is that right? Exactly.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then we get to play the role as a VC as well, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. is really interesting. And then we're kind of judging these entrepreneurs some of them with real products and kind of challenging them. So actually putting our heads as if we were VCs and seeing how we would assess the value of a business.
0: That's a unique opportunity to be able to play both ends and be able to see both sides. And it's one of the things I think is like a huge draw to the to the program, you have people who are in venture capital, you know, who are investors. You have people in tech, you have people in marketing and sales and, and product, and it's a, it like kind of feels like a, a UN of you know United Nations of all different types of jobs and companies and backgrounds when you come to class, whether you're you know an evening or weekend MBA like us or the full time is it's a really awesome experience. So
1: absolutely, hopefully. and also being in some classes with full time MBA mm-hmm. students, MBA students, and also students from other schools within Berkeley, and then some of the international trips with GNAM. Oh, yeah. So from other business schools, too, I thought those are really unique touches on the Haas experience.
0: That's awesome. Were you able to take advantage of any of those programs like IBD, which is international business development, or one of the treks that they have, like the international treks or anything like that, Jimmy, when you're at Haas?
1: Yeah. So I took two GNAM classes, one in Mexico City and the other one in Shanghai. So a few Haasies but then also probably five to 10 other schools as well. So I thought that was amazing.
0: Can you share for some of the listeners who who aren't familiar what GNAM is?
1: So GNAM, I believe it is the global network of advanced management, but it's essentially a consortium of different universities from around the globe and about three to five students per university where you get to learn a specific topic. So when I went to China, it was focused on doing business and how that works as a U.S. business or if you want to start your own and honestly, how difficult that is for both angles. And then in Mexico City, it was doing business in Mexico and within that context and climate and kind of what to consider when building out kind of a business in that location. So it's giving us a bit of that global deep dive, but a more unique opportunity to meet with students of other universities as well.
0: That's awesome. Jamie, uh, you had such an amazing time at Haas, um, but you also had an amazing journey slash transition to another iconic place, which was Nike, you know, what was it like going through that process and um, going to Nike and, and what did it feel like being somewhere so iconic as the swoosh?
1: Right. So this was back I'm trying to remember 2017, when Nike had reached out about a really awesome role within their digital business space. So it was a global digital business director role to lead a lot of the strategic growth initiatives um, for Nike.com. I think, one, for an iconic brand like the Swoosh, I've always loved being a part of brands that are transforming the industry. And Nike's always, I think, forever will be doing that as we think about the culture of sport and access for athletes. So I think that brand was one that's always been on my radar. And then for me, just my passion for sport and truly making sport a daily habit, I could really identify as both the consumer of the brand and also being a part of that so when they had called about this dream role it was everything i wanted in a role and a brand where i could really connect to the consumer so i couldn't pass that up and i was actually midway through my Haas program when that happened so it actually pushed me to move to portland oregon for the role and find a way to continue to travel for classes or stack up classes to make that work for maybe another year year and a half so it became a good opportunity also to rack up some miles The Alaska Airlines, (laughs) as kind of the silver lining to that experience. But I would say that I'm happy to dive into a little bit of the Nike experience too. But when the opportunity came is when I just couldn't pass up.
0: That's awesome. Yeah. For folks who aren't probably familiar, you know, amongst the programs that we have at Haas is the evening weekend MBA. And typically, you know, from my, my experience, especially in the weekend cohorts, essentially folks come in all day Saturday. You have a ton of folks who come in from different cities. So not just the Bay Area, but from places like Portland, sorry, Portland Seattle, Los Angeles, Colorado. Could you explain for, for folks what that experience is like having transitioned from being in the Bay and then also kind of commuting as part of the EW program?
1: Yeah, so I'd say both experiences are very different and compelling in different ways. So being a part of the community in the Bay and seeing classmates multiple times a week does allow you to develop um, stronger relationships and more of that community. So I'd say that's a big plus. But there's also a lot of that commute time. I was driving to school twice a week. Yeah. That's about one and a half hours each way, commuting from San Bruno at Walmart to Berkeley after class. So that required even more flexibility. I would say the weekend cohorts are a lot more efficient in terms of school. Uh, You find really interesting ways to prioritize your time. So airplane and airport time was the time I was doing homework and projects or studying. And I've learned to kind of listen to classes during those commutes as well. Like if I missed a part of it or wanted to relearn something. So you find really interesting pockets of time and you really maximize a lot of your time more when you know you have uh, less of it. So I would say that was a big plus. And you also form a new community. It's all the other commuters that go on the same flights with you. You end up sharing Lyfts or Ubers to school and back. So it's a bit more unique and different, but also is able to create a community and strong ties through that cohort as well.
0: That's awesome. Can you share a bit about, you know, you were already in the program when you moved up to Portland, but you needed that kind of potential flexibility, even though it might have been on the weekend. Like, For folks who are thinking about having a similar conversation maybe with their employer, could you share a bit about what that experience was like with you and kind of how you coordinated slash communicated that?
1: When Nike had reached out about the role, I kind of let them know, hey, I'm also um, wrapping up my MBA. So they knew kind of upfront that that was a part of essentially what I would be bringing on if I were to take on the role. So I think being really upfront with your employer, letting them know that these are the expectations with school, but I will still be committed to hitting um, the goals in this role. I think that clarity and communication is really important. And having that alignment with your manager too, to say, hey, on this Friday, I might be out for school, or I might need to take a week off. But honestly, communication with that, usually organizations are pretty flexible, as long as you're able to still deliver on your specific role. So I think my whole philosophy is like, if you don't ask, you'll never know. Mm. So always continue to push, but companies are more flexible than you might think for these particular roles.
0: Yeah, that's great. Jamie, could you share a bit about, you know, a bit more about your Nike experience? I think for folks in the States, you know, Nike is a huge brand domestically, but the global aspect of the Nike business is also a, a huge thing. You know, could you explain, you know, what it was like um, when you first got to Nike and kind of how that evolved over time as you're doing more and more things, both like, you know, kind of domestic, but also like globally as well?
1: So what I was really excited about with the Nike opportunity is that the role really had the ability to, again, not only change the enterprise in terms of how Nike thinks about digital as part of their broader strategy, but also the industry and culture and honestly, who has access to sport. So that potential was really exciting. I would say, so my journey there, I was brought on the first year to really help build out the foundation for the digital business um, and what that looks like in the context of Nike. And then my last three years there um, was really focused on strategic growth around apparel. So Nike is known as a footwear business specifically running, but the excitement of growing a new business within that and building out a new division and offense and team was particularly memorable for me. And also leading things like category expansion into maternity or yoga or extended sizes and really helping redefine and the hijab to really redefine who can connect with a brand and offering sport to these communities on a global reach and global scale. So I would say, like, in short, that would be my fondest memory of some of the work there, but also a lot of fun memories that I'm happy to share, too, as part of the Nike experience.
0: Yeah, absolutely any memories that stick out to you you know you you that you keep or or that you think about a lot especially at, at a place like nike i think it seems like a lot of folks have their own experiences with an iconic brand like that but you got to see it both from the inside and then also from the you know user consumer perspective and anything that from your experience that kind of sticks out and kind of shapes how you lead today
1: yeah i would say in a larger organization to make change happen it's so important to be able to have shared goals and a universal language across partners With digital as a newer part of the Nike strategy, it became really important to say, like, how is digital a win-win for everyone versus trade-offs about like, hey, how does this almost compete or conflict with our store strategy or third-party retailers? So showcasing how it benefits Nike, the brand, and everyone else and taking everyone on that journey together is so critical. And I think in a larger organization, sometimes it takes a while to see those wins. So continue to like see where you can make those small wins as you develop more of that momentum, but knowing that sometimes it might take six months to a year to see the fruition of a concept. But once you can unlock that bigger win, that momentum that carries after will go pretty far. So I think finding ways for those small wins, but also being patient if something does take a long time, because when that unlock happens, a lot of potential can really kind of go from there. And I'm happy to also share some fun memories of the switch. Some more fun memories, too. I would say some of the most interesting things I always remember is when I'm in a meeting room, you will always be surprised about How many professional or Olympic athletes are also in the room with you? So your coworkers and colleagues, a lot of them are former Olympians or played with all these notable, iconic athletes or were professional or at least D1 scholarship athletes. So you'll never realize how unathletic you are until you're actually (laughs) in the room with them. So that was pretty impressive. I'm like, who in this room today is actually a professional athlete? So that was fun. Let's see, the number of athletes you'll also see on campus So I bumped into uh, Michael Jordan once in the cafeteria. You'll see a lot of cell phones taking photos of him, but then him also surrounded by five bodyguards. Uh Um, We saw LeBron James in the cafeteria as well. And then Chloe Kim did kind of a fun meet and greet with people. So the number of athletes and the personas that you'll see both in the U.S. at the Beaverton campus And also globally, when you travel, kind of more local micro-influencers, it's cool to be able to connect with so many people who have achieved excellence in their craft and in their sport. And then I'd say from a lifestyle standpoint, the gyms were something else there. So there were pools for training. Pelotons were all over the place. There was a rock wall a mini putt-putt area, obviously a volleyball court, soccer, basketball, any sport you name of. It's almost like the Disneyland for anyone who's into sports. And you would have maybe a fitness class every hour. And I would say about four or five different big gyms across the whole campus. So for me, that was a really awesome kind of lifestyle perk too.
0: That's amazing. Jamie, how did you decide to to leave Nike and, and join Everlane? I know you you're now doing a ton of awesome things at Everlane, but could you explain maybe that experience and what drew you to what you're doing today?
1: Yeah, so I would say in my Haas experience, I mentioned kind of that diversity of thought and working and going to class with a lot of folks that have been a part of pre-IPO companies or late stage startups. And that was honestly what piqued my interest in, you know, one day. Um, exploring kind of a startup opportunity. And I had realized, you know, I've been doing the big company thing for a long time, essentially my whole career. Why not take a shot and a chance now to really be a part of a high growth organization that can still drive impact as an industry leader? So thinking about sustainable fashion, I do believe Everlane has a unique position in that space and really change the conversation around radical transparency and sustainability and start to fight climate change. So that piece was really compelling, being a part of a purpose-driven organization and being a part of a smaller business unit with really fast growth and growth potential. So I'd say that was the biggest draw and also learning about everything that I learned and what we did from Nike Apparel, how do we bring that to also impact change at Everlane? And the chance to really build out a team was compelling too.
0: Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, could you maybe share a bit about, you know, what Everlane does for, for folks who may not be familiar, I think some folks maybe we were sharing earlier before the recording that our, our house is definitely familiar <laughs> with what Everlane is. There, there are some products very close by. But uh, could you share for folks what Everlane is? You know, what what's the the big differentiator from the brand? And and maybe could you share a bit about because you're on the digital side, you know, what what does digital mean for Everlane and your team and your group over over there?
1: Yeah, so Everlane is a sustainable fashion brand, um, really focused on sustainable innovation um, across the industry. So how do we essentially help consumers look good and also feel good through their experience and really empower consumers to be a part of this broader community? And a big part of our competitive um, advantage, too, is the point around radical transparency around price. So you know where your products are made, how it's made and where it's made and also how we think about pricing and we always want to deliver the highest quality items at the most radically transparent price and i think that kind of sustainable value proposition makes people feel like they're doing good while living a sustainable lifestyle so that's been the big push for everlane and in terms of what digital means it is a majority of our business we do have a bit of a store footprint but as we think about growth digital is a big part of that equation so Different from other organizations where digital is a bit more nascent and mm. e-comm, this is sort of the bread and butter, but a chance to take it to the next level.
0: Jamie, yeah, what advice would you give for people who are interested in, in following very similar journey with you? Like do the MBA, go into global or apparel or digital. You know, they they want to position themselves in that. It's definitely a growing area of interest for current students. So we definitely see that. But would love to know if you had any advice for those type of folks.
1: Yeah, so I would say for folks interested in consumer goods, apparel or digital, I've gone the other direction of learning a lot of best practices through larger organizations. And I think that's benefited and taught me a lot of different areas of like, what does success at scale look like? But I would also say there's another parallel path that is equally as compelling, if not more, of being a part of a late stage startup or early stage in consumer goods. Apparel or digital, where as maybe a younger employee, you can actually have a lot of impact. Say that you are maybe at a more entry level role, you can wear so many different hats and you'll have access to a lot of different leaders, even um, C suite or CEO that you wouldn't have at a larger company. So I would say that my advice would be there actually really isn't one true path that could lead you to success, but have a clear understanding of, you know, in five to 10 years, what do you, foresee your digital, your e commerce apparel career to look like? What are the different facets of what great looks like then? And reverse engineer it to say like, hey, there are different puzzle pieces that could add up that could be at a, you know, even a digital consulting agency. It could be at a, a late stage startup. It could be a large enterprise. Each one is going to teach you something different. But don't be afraid to explore different routes that could teach you or give you the experiences to lead you to where you want to be in the next five to 10 years. But having a clear goal of what that end game or outline of it looks like and always being flexible along the way too.
0: That's great to hear. I think for so many folks, you, you kind of stay on the traditional or, you know, the the well-driven path and, and you kind of don't want to come off of it. But, you know, it sounds like what you're saying is it, it's almost the opposite. You want to think about what's the destination and be a little bit more flexible in how you get there, even though you want to you know have a plan and have an idea.
1: Exactly. And I think the biggest learning for me, too, is like having an outline of what that looks like, but not a blueprint mm-hmm. or something set in stone. written, knowing that there's going to be so many changes that happen. It's like a pandemic could happen or, you know, supply chain crisis, things that could really shift the industry at large and consumer behavior. So just knowing what your ideal lifestyle looks like down the line, but being adaptable and that change. Chris, you said it perfectly. Yeah,
0: no, I appreciate it. What is it like for you, you know, in this, in the pandemic and, you know, having remote teams and things like that? You know, I think a lot of folks understand what that's like from a, you know, maybe an individual contributor or, you know, individual employee perspective, you know, kind of from your perspective, increasingly trying to grow teams and, and building a culture and driving a business. How's that been, you know, in the pandemic? And as we're trying to transition to this post-pandemic period, you know, being in that, kind of leadership position and and being, you know, the person really helping to shape that?
1: Yeah, I would say it's definitely challenging going through all these changes and also learning, like one, bringing in new folks to the team and onboarding people remotely. I think that's um, just a new challenge. We're all trying to learn, adapt Mm -hmm. and kind of grow in. And I think like building a culture and also sustaining that digitally and remotely is also another curveball. The way we've been able to do it is like having a clear vision for what how your culture connects with the broader company mission and how your team culture might actually differ in a positive way and having really unique DNA with your organization and your brand and making sure the people that you hire are also, one, aligned with that and bought into that mission. So I think starting from the top, bringing in people that are, are right for that culture but finding ways to sustain it. And I think the biggest question is like, what is the right way to build that out? Luckily, since, you know, the pandemic has softened a little bit in terms of being able to meet safely in person, we've been able to have in-person meetups, whether it's outside to really discuss culture and really build that together as a team, brainstorming whiteboarding sessions, and then also having every other week connects with the team. So lunches, whether it's Trivia or just something fun just to connect the team, because one thing that is that can get lost in a remote culture is that people element. So really being able to connect with people as humans first. If you really lean and invest in your people, the results will follow. So really leaning in with a more people first mindset.
0: Well, Jamie, it's been great to have you in conversation today and, and to hear a bit about your story. You know, we, we tend to like to end with a, a lightning round. Hopefully no controversial questions, although can be sometimes divisive based on uh, where you sit. But we'd love to do a lightning round with you and just kind of pick on some fun last uh, questions before we close today.
1: Sure. Yeah. Let's do it.
0: So uh, first question here, name a favorite class at Haas or a class that's been most relevant to how you lead today.
1: Ooh, favorite class at Haas? would have to be turnarounds, but Mm -hmm. I would say that is not how I lead today. (laughs) So that would be in direct contrast. And I don't know if there's a class that taught me how to lead, but rather the people, the professors and the guest speakers that really started to shape kind of more of that players, coach, servant leadership mindset. Mm -hmm. So it's more the community that's inspired me. So kind of the opposite of the turnarounds for us. <laughs> but yeah. I would say that really challenged my kind of mental limits of like what I knew I was capable of doing in the course of, say, a week.
0: Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. For folks who haven't had the opportunity, definitely recommend trying it at least once. You know, those, the whether it's m a or turnarounds or PE, I think it's a super difficult experience, but it definitely, I think, um, makes you feel different when you come on the other side for both positive and and just having gone through that experience as well. Here's one that's maybe a little bit more divisive. What was your favorite place to eat when you were at Berkeley?
1: Oh, that is also a tough one. (laughs) As a commuter, let's see, a lot of it was, you know, that catered lunch. Yep. yep. I would say Vicks was a highlight. Okay. Good Indian food, high quality and good access. I would say that's a good one. And then, okay, it's going to sound a little bit cliche, but I did really like cheese board. I would get that sometimes on the way out. I know it's a little touristy. I know it's a bit basic, but I feel like it's still a pretty good staple if you're craving pizza.
0: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Cheese board, you get another shout out. <laughs> it's a... Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, what about two more? One, what's the best piece of advice that you've ever received?
1: Ooh, this is a good one. I would say that you will always be your greatest advocate. So never put limits on yourself situations, people, and contexts might be more flexible and open-minded than you think. And a lot of things in life end up being kind of flexible or negotiable if it is a win-win for everyone, or if you just ask. The worst thing that could happen is no, so always be your greatest advocate.
0: And last question, uh, what is something that gets you excited about the future?
1: Ooh, that is a good question. And so open-ended too. (laughs) I would say if we were to stick to sort of the future of work, I'm curious to see the companies that really and organizations that come out of, you know, this pandemic on the other side, whether it's companies looking to IPO and what their solution was to battle through these really two tough years, whether it's a people first mindset, the agility through a remote kind of focused environment or dealing with supply chain and apparel. I'm really curious to see what comes out of the other side and how potentially, you know, sustainability plays a role. And a lot of that, too, in terms of companies and how we think of that secondary market. So I'm pretty interested to see how retail and digital kind of take on that next chapter next frontier.
0: Well, Jamie, it's been great to have you on the show today. Definitely appreciate it. And uh, as uh, we always say at Cal, go Bears. Thanks again for tuning in to this episode of the One Haas podcast. If you enjoyed our show today, please remember to hit that subscribe or follow button on your favorite podcast player. We'd also really appreciate you giving us a five-star rating and review. If you're looking for more content, please check out our website at haas.fm. That's spelled H-A-A-S There, you can subscribe to our monthly newsletter and check out some of our other Berkeley Haas podcasts. And until next time, go Bears!